We are in 2 Corinthians today, and I'll tell you a little bit more about my Germany trip in just a second in the message. Um, and I want to ask you a question as we begin, because uh, 2 Corinthians 12, where we are, starts with this, this, this story that Paul tells about a spiritual experience that he had. And I want to ask you, have you ever had a spiritual experience so dynamically powerful that it was hard to tell somebody about it? <laughs> and it, it was just so transformative and so... Um, life-changing, that when you start talking about it, it's almost like diminishing it. Uh, and, and, and you want to be able to help people understand what it is that you've experienced, but uh, words just kind of fail you. And that's kind of the, what's going on with Paul in, in this uh, 12th chapter. And uh, we are going to return to 2 Corinthians. Some have asked. We started it last May. And we left it during the Christmas season and my trip, and uh, we're going to return and finish it off. Aren't you glad we're finishing off 2 Corinthians? We're just not going to drop the 12th and 13th uh, chapters. Some of the most powerful in all of the book, to be honest. And so uh, over the next four or five weeks, we'll, we'll uh, finish 2 Corinthians. Um, Paul is in the middle of his defense. And back in chapter 9, he began this defense because... There were all these heretics that had worked their way into the Corinthian church, and they were, they were talking about Paul in very negative terms. They were saying, you can't trust Paul. Uh, just, just look at us. Look at us and look at him. These were, these were beautiful people, and they were most likely eloquent speakers and very smart and uh, the kind of people that other people want to follow. And they kept pointing out how unimpressive Paul looks. Wouldn't you like to have that label as a pastor? Look how unimpressive he is. <laughs> and he, he, he just doesn't speak very well. He's not very eloquent in his speech. And, and Paul admits to these things earlier in the book. He says, that's true. That's true. Uh, but I am the called apostle. You are not the called apostle. The Corinthian church needs to follow me. The Corinthian church does not need to follow you. And so he's defending, and not for his own sake, but for the sake of the gospel. These intruders were going to lead them down this mixture of Judaism and uh, Christianity. And Paul knew it was death to the gospel. And so he said, in throughout these last four chapters, he's defending himself as to why the Corinthian church should follow him. And one of the things that false prophets would always boast about is supernatural experiences. Boy, don't we see that today. Preachers who think they're validated by talking about visions and dreams and wonderful things and... Yet Paul had had one of those. He'd had one of those encounters. And uh, he's a little bit embarrassed to talk about it. He talks about it in the third person, actually. You read commentators, and everybody knows because of the context, the language, the setting, it is Paul talking about Paul, something he has done. But he actually distances himself from the, from the uh, presentation of the story because he doesn't want to appear as if he's uh, boasting as some kind of spiritual saint or super Christian uh, or, or boasting about himself. So let's read the story, 2 Corinthians 12, the first six verses. He says, Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, and he repeats himself, whether in the body or apart from the body I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise 
and heard inexpressible words which a man, a mere mortal, is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast, which was actually him, <laughs> but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I am speaking the truth. But I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Amazing experience that Paul has had. Being caught up into the third heaven, it says. Uh, hearing words that man is not even able to express. And uh, he's had quite an experience. But he's so careful. I don't want to elevate myself. I don't want you to think that because of this experience, like the false prophets... They want you to think they're great because of it. I don't want you to tie me to this some supernatural experience and validate me because of that. Not only that, I don't want you to go, wow, did you hear what Paul ha What happened to Paul? He's some super saint. Everybody to follow him. Follow him because it feeds my own sense of pride. And so, I'm so Paul is so keenly aware of that. He says, I'm only going to boast in regard to my weakness. I don't want you giving me credit for this. It's something God did. And Paul says, and throughout this passage, I have to be so vigilant at deflecting glory, praise, credit to God because he knows the subtle, deceptive power of pride. Do you know the subtle, deceptive power of pride. My first point, great spiritual heights can produce great spiritual pride. Paul knows that. Paul knows, even though he's the apostle, he's seen Jesus on the Damascus Road, and he has this history with Christ, and he's so used of God, he knows that no matter what step in my journey I'm on, no matter how mature in Christ I get, I am still vulnerable to this thing called pride. I don't have to tell you all the spiritual giants of our day and days past that have fallen because they didn't heed the warning signs of encroaching pride. You know, it's been said, and I've come to believe this in my life, that um, success is a lot harder to handle than failure. Success is a lot harder to handle than failure. Failure almost has this built-in uh, push towards God. Failure has this, this, this admission of, of need and, and, and dependence. And, and success almost kind of funnels into this self. And uh, success is almost built in independence from God. It's like, I can do this. And when a person is, is growing a business or growing a ministry and the Everybody's kind of given accolades. The feelings of success can easily lead to, uh, you know, they, they're kind of right in what they're saying about me. <laughs> you know? And I'm always reminded of Proverbs 16, 18. The pride goes before what? Yeah, this version, destruction. A haughty spirit, the I can do it spirit, that I've got it, I'm on top of the world spirit, it goes before stumbling. And in every life, 
my life, your life, there are some successes and there are some failures. There are seasons of success, there are seasons of failure. And to be honest, walking through difficult times of failure can almost uh, bring about spiritual closeness to God like no other times of our life. It's failure that kind of drives us into his arms and says, Lord, I failed again, or Lord, this situation is out of my control, or I can't fix this. I have to have all faith in you. And on the other hand, success is a little bit more difficult to manage because it does lend itself to this uh, self-credit that we want to take. I've learned to be especially careful when success is lurking at the door. (laughs) Because the tempter can use it to his advantage, can't he? The tempter can come and say, you really are good at what you do. Did you know, believe it or not, there have been times where I have really felt like as if the evil one was telling me, Dave, that was a great sermon today. It's his strategy, isn't it? He wants you to think you're pretty special. He wants you to think you've got what it takes. He wants you to think that your hard work has paid off. And you ought to take some credit. It's his strategy. And God knows his strategy. Aren't you glad God knows his strategy? God is so wise, he's so smart. He says, I'm going to meet Satan's strategy head on and I'm going to give you a gift to counter that strategy. Aren't you glad for the gifts of God that he gives us to counter the strategies of of Satan? Yeah, let's read on. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn. Wait, that's the gift? There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Paul's incredible reward for the spiritual victories of being taken into the third heaven and hearing inexpressible words. Here, Paul, you have a tendency towards pride. Here's a thorn in your flesh. And when you study it, and you study the context, and you study the language, and the way the Greek language is constructed, it becomes very apparent that it is God that gave the thorn to Paul. It was given for benefit, his personal benefit, to prevent spiritual conceit and arrogance. Something that had been given by God it says, was used as a messenger of Satan. That Satan was using something that God had given to bring about spiritual change and spiritual health in Paul's life. Satan would use that very same thing to torment him, it says. You ever wondered what the thorn was? (laughs) You know, that's that's one of the great questions of the New Testament. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? I mean, was it a sickness? Was it a malady? Was it a temptation he couldn't get over? uh, Persecution? You know, I thought about this, and isn't there a reason why we don't know? I mean, what if we knew it was a a particular malady, a sickness? What if it was 
let's say it was epilepsy, and every time he had a seizure, you know, he just was, he says, Lord, just take away this epilepsy, and I'd be okay. And then, just think about that, then the passage of Scripture would only pertain to people with epilepsy. <laughs> There's a reason why we don't know what it is, because, well, let me ask you, do you have a thorn? You might be here saying, I got several thorns. <laughs> I got lots of those kind of things. Something that may be debilitating. Something that you say, Lord, if you would just get rid of this, I could be a really great Christian. I would be a better part of your team if you could get rid of this. Why do I have this lure to this temptation? Lord, if you could just get this temptation out of my life, that person over there doesn't struggle with this temptation. Why do I struggle with this temptation? I'd be a whole lot better Christian if you'd just take it away. You ever prayed something like that? And yet, every time the temptation comes, be, uh, even if you fail, but there's this temptation, Lord, I'm powerless over this. There's this drawing back. Lord, I have to have you in order to meet this. I have to have you. Why is the Lord going to take away something that continually drives you to him? <laughs> That's what he's doing here with Paul. So I make the point, uh, great debilitations can be gifts from our great God. I mean, do you believe that? Great debilitations can be gifts from our great God. Isn't that good news today? Amen, right? You're not so sure, I can tell. I realize it might not sound right, and uh, I want you to know that we have to be careful. Not every problem that you have is God's fault, right? I mean... Dare I ask this? Most of your problems are whose fault? Yeah, most of us know the right answer, right? But there are those things that God can send in our way, be it a health issue or a, some event that happened in our life that just we just can't put away. And it's constantly, every time it comes up, every time it's faced, it's just constant reminder, we need Him. I need him. I need him. Self-sufficiency, folks, is utterly and completely destructive. It is. Last weekend when I was teaching in Germany, one of the, my talks centered on the two trees in the Garden of Eden. You remember those two trees, right? There was a tree to be avoided, and it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree to eat from was the tree of life. And I was explaining to them through an interpreter that these are the only two ways that a person can choose to live. These are the only two ways you can live every day, every moment. You're either going to live from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you're going to live from the tree of life. And God, right at the very beginning of time, wanted us to know. The bad tree says you are defined by what you do. You know what is good. You know what is wrong. You better try hard to do good. You better try hard not to do bad. Your validation as a person is how well you perform. And it's up to you. And folks, this is the system that describes the world. Everything is in this world comes from this system of good and bad. Punish the bad, reward the good, get good grades, not bad grades. Perform well on the job, get a raise. Perform poorly, get fired. 
But it's all up to who? You. You are defined by what you do in this system. And the amazing thing about the story of Genesis is that God didn't say, I don't want you to live from that tree. He said, I don't want you to know about that tree. I don't want you to eat one little piece of fruit from that tree because when you do, it's going to suck you in and it is certain death to live this way. Instead, just eat from the tree of life. Just enjoy me. I don't want you even paying attention to that tree. Every problem, every obstacle, every debilitation is meant to expose us to the futility of living this way. I said, I don't think there's that many Christians today who really enjoy God. (laughs) Because they're living under the weight of trying hard to be perfect in their obedience. After the seminar... A lot of the participants hung around, and we talked for a while, and uh, they only wanted to talk about... I, I had three sessions. Only one of them was the two trees, but that's all they wanted to talk about. They kept saying, I've, I've lived my whole life like that. No wonder I feel like a failure at being a Christian. No wonder I don't enjoy my walk with the Lord. I'm just so beat up by my sin. They express their heart's desire to be obedient to God and uh, just always falling short. I talked to them, I explained to them the paradox because it doesn't sound right. But there is a paradox here. You can live this way trying to be good and not bad and really trying to gain validation from what you do or you live this way and you just enjoy the presence of Jesus and you come to him with every moment of your life and all of a sudden the life you've been trying so hard over there begins to emerge from this relationship. Because he has the power to work through your weakness to bring about the life you never thought possible. What emerges from that is how beautiful and good Jesus is. How, under, how difficult it is to understand grace because it's so different than everything we know. Everything we know is this tree. Everything we know is this tree. It's the way the, way the world works. And grace says, no, you're completely forgiven. You're just completely forgiven. <laughs> oh, but you don't know how bad... No, you're, you're, you're completely forgiven. You're free. Oh, but we need to have rules and we need to have some standards for... No, you're free. See, we don't get that. Because we don't have a context for it. It's nothing like ever, anything we've ever seen. After the seminar, a 23-year-old woman, single, living with a boyfriend, came up to me. She hadn't been walking with the Lord. and uh, She started the conversation this way. She says, you know... I think I've come to believe that God does exist. 
And she wanted to have a conversation, I think, on one level, and God wanted to have a conversation on a different level. Because even though she just said, I, I've come to believe that God does exist, she could not hold back the tears that flowed down her face. I said, I think you believe a little bit more than He just merely exists. He loves you. He finds you fully acceptable to Him. And right there, she uh, came to faith in Christ for the first time in her life. She saw God as something different than this judge. This evaluator of her behavior. But one that just said... I see all of that you I see all your life. I see all that you've been, all that you've done. I want you. I mean, who does that? God. Grace. I thank God all week that uh, I just happened to walk into something that he was doing in her life. I just had the privilege of helping her find him. Because coming to Christ is, 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 is simply the admission that I don't want to self-justify anymore. I don't want to validate my life by what I do. I, I can't do it. I'm, I'm a failure. <laughs> it's just admitting I am just, I want to break through. I want the fullness of Him. We're all weak. Sin. We all fall short. And when we break and admit that, he just pours out acceptance and grace and love. And What's tragic to me so many times is that we come to faith in Christ that way. I can't do it, Lord. I can't do it. Just, just come and take me in. And he does. And Okay, and then we kind of say, thank you. I'm going to go back and live my Christian life over here. And he keeps pulling us back. No, I don't even want you to know about that tree. Don't hijack that tree into the Christian life. <laughs> Leave it alone. It's not about how good you do and how bad you do. It's all about me. And so that's part of the rule of the thorns. Keep us away and in here. There's nothing pleasant about the thorns. We all know that. Paul asked three times for the Lord to take it away. And... Uh, Jesus speaks in 2 Corinthians 12. And Paul quotes him. Look what it says in verses 9 and 10. And he said, and he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, it is then, what? <laughs> that I am strong. One thing the scripture passage wants us to understand, I'm here to proclaim this truth to you today. 
it is God's eternal desire for you and I to be weak. Amen. Always weak. He wants to demonstrate His divine power through our lives and our own abilities, our talents, our knowledge, our position, everything about us, everything about self is the great potential barrier to the release of His power. Think about the phrase, my grace is most of what you need. Is that what it says? You need my grace plus just a little self-effort. This is the way we live, folks, isn't it? But he is saying unequivocally, and this is Jesus talking, my grace is completely, fully sufficient. It doesn't need any addition. It doesn't need any extras. (laughs) I and I alone, the tree of life, will give you everything that you need. I'm not depending on you, Mr. Dave, to live the Christian life because you can't. I, Jesus, will give you my grace and it will be sufficient for every relationship, for every message you preach, for every prayer you pray. Do you get that? I don't... It just blows my mind sometimes, doesn't it? His grace. That's all I need. What about people's validation of me? Don't you need that? Don't you need people's opinions to be good of you? Huh? Come on. Did you know that people will judge you? I have found that to be true in my life. Have you? People are going to size you up and say, I don't think, you shouldn't, you ought to. You're going to do that to yourself sometimes, aren't you? People are going to say, you are unqualified, not good enough, you must work harder, be more disciplined, improve your leadership skills. You don't have what it takes. You know what I say to people when they say things like that to me? Not that they do. I say, you know what? You're right. I agree with them. Thank goodness I ain't got what it takes, right? If I had what it takes, I I could live over here. I don't need him. So I'm your pastor here today admitting I don't have what it takes to do this job. Okay, take that home with you today. (laughs) Totally unqualified. I need him. I need him. I need him today, and I need him tomorrow, and I need him next Sunday. Great weakness. The only way to great power. We all want great power, don't we? 
Sorry to tell you, you, ain't, you don't have it. I don't have it. Only he has it. It's only expressed through your weakness. That's it. That's why Paul says that he is well content with weaknesses, insults, and he lists all these terrible things. And the word well content there means I think well of. It doesn't mean I'm okay with it or it's, it's uh, I'll get through this. No, it says I think well, I think positively when things are difficult. Because they expose my weakness. They invite the power of God. And so I will contend with problems and difficulties and persecutions and I will contend them with them by embracing my inability to solve them, to deal with them. Because I want to receive the very supernatural power of God. And maybe during the message there's a, a recognition of pride. And maybe God has revealed those kinds of things that there is this I can do it kind of thing going on in my life and I can fix it and I can handle it. And I don't use the word weakness in my vocabulary. I just... Mm-mm. And I, I want you to know that agreeing that you're weak, agreeing that you're weak is just an agreement with what is true. If you're here today, you think you're strong, you're fooling yourself. <laughs> you're just fooling yourself. Being weak is an agreement with the truth. His grace is sufficient. It's His gift. Living in grace and its provision alone is eating from the tree of life. Totally dependent. No confidence in my ability. It even thinks well of human adversity. I don't even, I don't know how to get my mind around that, but it just says, okay, here's, here's a difficult, terrible situation. Somehow God will <laughs> bring his power into this. God wants you and I, no matter what we are facing today, to break free from, I can do it, self-sufficiency. He wants us to break free from the prison, and it is a prison, it's a stronghold of pride. He wants you to know my grace is completely enough. Before we sing the final song, I just want to pray for us. Father, I have to admit that when I talk about grace and uh, I read passages like this and uh, now all the years that I've studied the subject and become aware of the truth of it all, and there is still this constant work that you're doing to get it from my head to my heart. Because, Father, we really don't have an, a context to understand this freedom that grace brings to us. This total, complete freedom to get our eyes off of the old system and onto this 
sufficiency of grace. And uh, I am praying specifically for people here today that are caught in self-performance validation where they're just so pleased and happy with themselves when they minister well and they avoid temptations and they just so happy with themselves and yet when they fail they beat themselves up and destroy their image of themselves. Father, I just pray that you these moments would give them a glimpse, a glimmer of true, real grace. That they were never expected to live this out. They were built as dependent creatures to just hunger for you. Hunger for you. And the beautiful place with you that is all sufficient. I think, Father, today that some people just need to know how free they are. They're so strapped up in, in guilt and strongholds and uh, the enemy is telling them all kinds of lies. And uh, I just pray, Father, that freedom reign in this place, that you just break them free from yes. these thoughts of yes. self-condemnation and self-abasement and all these things that the enemy wants them to believe about themselves and set them free let them, to, let them see this picture of the child of God that they are, not because of anything they've done, but because of what you have done and freely given to them. Father, I'm just always amazed at your grace. Let's stand.